Amen. Let us go to the scripture this morning. Uh, today we are in the book of Acts and chapter 3, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 26. So if you have a Bible, you can swing to Acts chapter 3. As we continue to learn about Jesus and the reality that Jesus is the power to change the world. Uh, along with that, learning what it means to live as witnesses of this Jesus, of this gospel of Jesus, and what it means to be a spirit-filled New Testament believer. Um, this week, I got to do one of, uh, there are a number of things that I particularly enjoy about being your pastor, but one of the really special things that happens every so often is I get to hear testimonies, uh, stories of how God saved someone in our congregation. As I was interviewing new members this past week, um, and many of you got to share those stories, and it's always a special time for me to be able to hear what is it that God lovingly was doing in your life that he, by his grace and mercy, brought you to faith. And so often it'll be really difficult times. It'll be really challenging circumstances that God worked through those to open someone's eyes to faith. Or it will be through just the, the sharing of the gospel where one faithful believer will humbly and lovingly share the news with another person and, and not by their ability but by God's grace that you heard the good news and you believed. Um, sometimes it is through tragedy. Sometimes it is through uh, just coming to the end of ourselves and the reality of um, recognizing the depth of our sin and how much we struggle. And, or sometimes it's reading God's word and as you've heard from God and his word, you're reading and you come to realize your need for Jesus as Savior. And in any case, it is always a blessing for me to be able to hear those stories where you get to tell me about what God has done and is doing in your life. Um, it's a little bit like uh, show and tell. You guys remember show and tell? Show and tell was the best, wasn't it? Go back to elementary school, you go back right now for a little show and tell. What is show and tell? It's pretty straightforward, right? The title is fairly self-explanatory. You pick out something in your home, in your bedroom that you absolutely love, and you take that thing with you to school, and when it was your turn, you get, to, you get to come up in front of the class, and you would show it to them. This is this thing that I love, and then you would tell them all about it. Show and tell. This morning's passage, Acts chapter 3, is very much a show and tell passage, but it's a on Holy Spirit steroids kind of a show and tell. And Peter, the apostle Peter, who we've followed here these first several chapters of Acts, is going to show us how do we as believers show our faith in Christ, and how do we tell others about our faith in Christ? What does that look like to do that well? So, um, in case you didn't catch it there, also show and tell, this is a two- point sermon. They said it could not be done, but it is a two-point sermon this morning. So <clears throat> with that intro, let us uh, pray one more time, and then let's get to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is living and active. It is a two-edged sword piercing our hearts, Father, and we pray that it might do that again this morning, that it would remind us of our great need for you, Lord. Our sins, they are many, but your grace is so much more. And so, Father, as we look at the lives of believers who struggled, who sinned, who had questions just like we do today, Father, that you would show us what it means for us to trust in your power, your Holy Spirit's power, your Son's grace, your fatherly love and affection towards us. Show us how to live out of your strength, Lord, that we might go forward and show and tell the good news of the gospel, even the way that it was taking place in the Acts church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
two ways then this morning that God changes the world through us. Number one is show the gospel. Number one, show the gospel. We're going to read now verses 1 through 10 and see this initial part of this story unfold. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Number one, show the gospel. Human needs, guys. Physical needs. Financial needs. Inside and outside the church needs matter because people matter to God. We have a tremendous problem, I believe, in our society of being very okay with ignoring other people's suffering because we know if we make eye contact, then we're committed, aren't we? But if we can move past, if we can walk past, if we can avoid, then maybe we can keep from having to inconvenience ourselves into other people's suffering or struggles or, or problems. Notice here right off the bat, Peter and John teach us something profound because they made eye contact with this lame man and went further and said, look at us. They're making a personal and human connection. They saw him. And sometimes for us, that's the, that's the starting point. I see you. They cared for him, and they were willing to step into his life. This lame man asked for what, as far as he could see at the moment, what he needed most. His perception was, what I need is money, and so he asked for that very thing. Maybe you hear in this story already, and you're looking for, how do I connect this to my own life, my city, my world? Uh, and you hear in this story, and you immediately connect it to the homeless, or maybe to someone panhandling in our city. And maybe you ask a very important question, what should I, what should we do? What do we do? I, I want to encourage you here, first of all, to let the scripture here broaden your categories to include not just the panhandler on the side of the road, which we know can often come with legitimate questions of safety or should I give this person money when they could use it to hurt themselves, maybe with an addictive substance that they go and buy with it, for example. Let the scripture broaden your categories before we even try to answer this question from the scripture. Listen to Jesus. Matthew 25, towards the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is talking about the final judgment. 
And the Bible says that he separates the sheep from the goats, the believers from the unbelievers, and then welcomes believers into heaven. And he says something that should absolutely astound us. He says to those believers, I was hungry and you gave me food. You may have a question there. The believers in this passage have a question. Listen to how they respond to Jesus. Jesus describes us here. This is Matthew chapter 25, 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him, speaking back to Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did, we, when did you see a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the question here isn't, should I be involved in showing the gospel by meeting someone's immediate physical needs? The question is, how best can I engage in doing that? Uh, I am very grateful to many of you who cooked and, and prepared and delivered meals to um, Families in our church this last several weeks who had a legitimate need, when you do that, you are the hands and the feet of Jesus, and I appreciate your sacrificing in that way. I'm thankful for a new opportunity here in the next several weeks with Sharon Swap to meet with people inside and outside of our church and hopefully provide a, a tangible need to bless someone right where they are at. There is great blessing and joy in giving, right? Not just the receiving, and I will say to you, as I've sort of teased out this idea of what about that person on the side of the road, uh, I am absolutely guilty of, before you of seeing someone and, and moving past them. We've all, we've all been there, right? We see a need, we see an opportunity, we see a person, and there are moments when, for whatever reason, we choose to continue to pass by. And so I and we are in need of God's grace, and we're in need of his filling to be able to live the way that the scripture invites us. Um, I've been in positions where I have also tried to help, in particular uh, with homeless or, or, or with panhandlers. I have stepped into a situation and I have found myself over my head. I have put myself in real danger. I have tried to be helpful and found that, in fact, what I was trying to do to be helpful not only put me in danger, but maybe um, was not as helpful as I had intended. Uh, I will encourage you with one of the best books that is currently out that addresses how do I do this loving people well, this, this mercy thing, showing the gospel, is a book called When Helping Hurts. When Helping Hurts. The subtitle of the book is How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. It's a profound read that challenges us to step into the lives of people who are in need in a variety of ways, even as Jesus has highlighted for us, knowing that Jesus is the ultimate answer, but I want to come and step into those situations in a way that I don't cause more harm, but rather that I help. To give you a, a practical example, and I am not perfect at this, but when a person approaches me for money, asks me for money, if I have the time, if they are willing um, I will invite them to, right then and there, can I take you to lunch? Uh, oftentimes they will say no, but sometimes they will say yes. And if they will do that with me, then I will take them to lunch, buy their lunch, since they're asking for food, asking for money. And as much as they are willing, I will share the gospel with them. And if they say no, I will uh, give them a Chick-fil-A gift card, obviously Chick-fil-A. 
I'll give them a, an invite card to New City Church. And again, as much as they are willing to hear about the good news of Jesus, I will share with them. And sometimes they want to sit and talk and listen and interact, and sometimes they don't want it at all. But all I can do is be a witness, like Peter is inviting us to be here. Peter says in this conversation with the lame man, though, I have no silver or gold, but what I have in Christ, I give you. See, the lame man doesn't yet know that his needs are far greater than silver or gold. He may think he needs money, and yes, there is value in money, but what he needs is something so much better. And so Peter engages this man's immediate need. He was able by the Spirit's power to lead him into an even greater spiritual need. He says, I don't have this little thing, money, but I can lead you to the most important thing, an eternal relationship with the Savior of the world who brings a healing that you know nothing about yet, but I'm going to show you. And then in the very next moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this lame man was healed. It is a miracle. There are miracles in the Bible, and we should absolutely be astounded by them because God is a miracle-working God. There are multiple stories like this in Acts, and they absolutely amaze us. But it then immediately asks us another question, not just the how do I... How do I show the gospel and begin to meet physical needs and interact with people and care for them? It asks a very relevant question. Should we expect, or I'll use the word demand, should we demand miracles from God today? I want to care. I want to show people God's love. Should I demand miracles of God? We have no more right to demand a miracle of God than we have to demand uh, our salvation from God. The reality is in both, they are an incredible gift, a merciful, gracious gift from God by His power alone. We should remember that every salvation, in fact, is a miracle of God. Every time that God changes a heart and moves it from death to life, the reality is, is there is a miraculous sense to what God has done. And so do not limit the power and the goodness of God. But we should also recognize that in the Bible, uh, miracles are pretty rare throughout both Old and New Testament. If we were to survey from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, we would see that hundreds of years pass by in the Bible, sometimes between miracles. Miracles do happen, and when they do happen, they tend to happen at special times when God is doing powerful works of mercy or powerful works of justice. For example, uh, we see miracles in the time of Moses and Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, certainly we see by far the most miracles during Jesus' earthly life and ministry and now during the life of the 12 apostles. Here in Acts, during this time of the apostles, the miracles had a special connection with, as we're told at the very beginning, Acts 1.8, the witness. And so as they are witnessing to the good news, God, by his Holy Spirit, provides miracles. It is a special moment within the apostolic age. In fact, we are told in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, that the sign of whether or not someone really was a true apostle was their ability to do miracles. So what should we do? What should we do? We pray. We ask. 
We ask for healing. We ask for God's provision. We can ask for miracles. And we praise God at the same time and trust him with the results. Look at James chapter 5. This is verses 13 through 16. Practical instructions on how do we as the New Testament church live this out. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The two-part formula here is pray and praise. One of the ways that we can show the gospel is to pray and praise. Please notice here, it does not say name it and claim it. It does not say, say the magic word. It does not say, fall over and you will be healed. It does not say any of those things because Scripture does not guarantee physical healing. It says the same thing that Peter is telling us. Call on the name of Jesus and your salvation is guaranteed. Your salvation, your eternal status in heaven is guaranteed. We must reject the very popular and the very false notion that if you just have enough faith, you will always be healed. And that if you aren't healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. Um, I have gathered with believers and elders to pray over people in our church who are sick. I've done it in neighborhood nursery after the service. Throughout the years, we have gathered elders and literally anointed with oil. We ask God, we pray, we anoint with that oil, and we praise him regardless. The Apostle Paul himself, in fact, if we want to think through this, the Apostle Paul himself could not work miracles all the time. You want to talk about an amazing person, an apostle who is used by God to do miraculous things. The apostle Paul could not just snap his fingers and make miracles happen. You remember his story? The Bible says he had what he referred to as a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that means, but we can imagine it means that he was in some way physically hurting, struggling, suffering. Maybe it was more physical, maybe it was more emotional, We don't know, but we do know he tells us he prayed three times that God would remove that suffering, and God did not answer his prayer by miraculously or even ordinarily healing him. What did God say to Paul in that prayer? My grace is sufficient for you. What was Job's prayer? You remember Job, a man who perhaps has suffered more than any other human being on earth outside of obviously the Lord Jesus Christ, but Job suffered in terrific ways. And in the middle of his suffering in Job 15, 13, he says this, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. He's talking to God. Though you bring these difficult things on me, yet I will hope in you. Guys, I will tell you that as your pastor, I have rejoiced with believers when I have seen them physically healed. We prayed, God healed them. Was it a miracle? I don't know. I don't have the authority to determine what that may or may not be. But I have seen God work in powerful ways, and I have seen people physically healed even as they are spiritually healed. 
because at the end of the day, we understand that God is the author of all healing. But I have also prayed with faithful believers and asked for physical healing. And rather than God answering that prayer in that way, I have watched those believers graduate to glory. It was not that they lacked in faith. It is that God was good in every season and in every circumstance. He did not heal their earthly suffering as we had asked, but he healed their eternal suffering and brought them into an eternal place called heaven. Either way, we can follow what this lame man does. How does he respond when he experiences a physical healing by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus? He leaps, he celebrates, he praises God, he's shouting. He got more than money. He got healed. He wasn't even asking for that. God did more than he ever had asked or imagined. And he praises God in a way that would probably make many a church uncomfortable. He praises and he leaps up and down and says, thank you. And we can do the same, whether God chooses to physically heal us from a particular thing that we struggle with, but certainly we can praise him and thank him and leap up and down knowing that he has healed us from our sin We can praise him knowing that God is still today reaching new lives with salvation and the good news of the gospel. And so it is for those reasons that we show the gospel in any way that we can. This passage continues on though. Let's look at the second half of this story. This is verses 11 through 26. While he... It is the lame man who has just now been healed. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people." And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. 
show the gospel, and tell the gospel. You see that Peter does both together. He shows and now he tells the gospel and he begins by making it very clear to the people who have now suddenly gathered around him that our greatest need is Jesus and the gospel of salvation. He tells them right off the bat, the physical healing is not enough. Meeting people's physical, financial, social needs is important, but it is not an end in itself. It is the beginning. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the end. Peter could have focused his sermon on the miracle and said, everyone look at me and come get healed. But he did not. He says, why do you stare at us? As if by our power or godliness, we made this man walk. Be clear here, believers, it is not about our so-called righteousness. It is not about our power. It is not about our piety. It is about God's. The miracle was to point people to the greater message. Hear that again. The miracle was there to point people to the greater message of the gospel. Peter proclaimed the gospel of Jesus that saves souls eternally, and so must we. Peter calls Jesus God's servant. It's an interesting term. He calls Jesus God's servant. Why does he do that? Because like last week, he is preaching now from the Old Testament, and he is preaching now from the book of Isaiah, and he is saying to these people something that they immediately would connect. Isaiah 52 and 53 Look at verse, Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Isaiah makes a profound promise about a coming Messiah who would demonstrate himself as a servant of God and to God's people. How would he do that exactly? Isaiah 53, verse 5. We know it well. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Peter says, you denied the holy and righteous one. That's another title from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And so he is explaining here to Jews that would immediately understand that this promised Messiah, this suffering servant is... Jesus of Nazareth. Hear the gospel. He's saying, Jesus became a servant unto death for you. So receive his free gift. And it is the same for us. We can tell others about the gospel. And you can see clearly here, Peter gives us an amazing way to walk people through this reality. And it begins with bad news. It begins with the reality of sin. He explains to them that sin is serious. Sin is not just being spiritually sick. You're not in need of a little healing. Sin is being spiritually dead and in need of a savior. And so Peter says four times to this crowd, again, comments that we know could have gotten him killed. Peter says four times, you rejected Jesus. And when he says that, he's saying you rejected. In the plural, if he were from the south, he would have said, y'all, y'all killed Jesus. He's not picking out one or two particular people. He's saying everybody, me included, we stand guilty before God. 
You handed him over to be killed. You denied him before Pilate. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. Sin is profoundly terrible. He says, you chose a murderer to be set free over the Messiah. And understand that if we were there, we would have absolutely done the exact same thing too. We are all to blame is the point. Our sin is what put Jesus on the cross is his point. It was my sin that put him there. And it broke Jesus' heart. And I don't mean it just hurt his feelings. The Bible literally tells us that a spear was thrust up into his side and that blood and water poured out from his heart. His heart was broken for us. And the the threat, the danger, the bad news of sin is so clear. In verse 23, he says, every soul who does not listen will be destroyed. Guys, physical healing is good. Meeting physical needs is good, but we all stand guilty. Every single one of us before the holy and righteous one in need of spiritual healing, in need of spiritual salvation, or we will face, says the Bible here, destruction. This is a problem that we cannot solve. But let me tell you about the good news. The good news that Peter tells us that we can tell our city and our world, it begins with this phrase, but God. All of the bad news that I have just given you, but God. He begins with, but God raised Jesus from the dead. Your sins put him there, but God has raised him from the dead. You released a murderer in exchange for Jesus' death, a guy by the name of Barabbas, if you recall. But Jesus released you, a guilty sinner, in exchange for his own life. You killed the author of life, Peter says, but the author of your creation life is also the author of your new life. And we are witnesses. We saw him. We heard his teaching. We saw him die on the cross. We saw him rise from the dead three days later. We saw him ascend into heaven. And we heard his promise that he would return one day. So hear and believe. Be forgiven and be saved, says Peter. We tell them the bad news because we're telling them the good news. And we tell the gospel by inviting people to respond with faith and repentance. Peter says, if you will put your faith in Jesus, then he will raise you from the dead as well. That you can be included in Jesus' death to sin and resurrection to new life right now. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can be healed not just from sickness, but from sin and death. The name of Jesus, the name of Jesus is the power that brings salvation. So the scripture says here, repent and turn away from sin. Turn to God. You know, the the Greek word where it says turn, where it says repent, turn from sin, it literally means not just make a turn, it literally means flee. Run to Jesus He is your shelter in the storm. He is the rock in the midst of your storm. He is salvation. He is new life. Flee to Jesus. 
And he lets them know, here's how it's done. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, committed no sin, and then died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and then rose from the dead three days later. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange that Jesus' perfect life is gifted to you. And all of your sin, all of your failure is put on him. He paid the penalty for your sin and gifted you his perfect righteousness. And all we must do is respond and believe. Say, Jesus, I want that free gift. Let's take a moment and let's pray together now to this good and loving Savior.